what a great uh, conference uh, this already is. Great focus on wisdom from the book of Proverbs. This is so practical for each and every one of us. And last night, Dr. MacArthur just launched the conference with a tour de force of contrasting wisdom and foolishness. And that's just still ringing in my ears and in my heart. And, and so we're off to a good start. And in this session, we want to look at how wisdom should direct our mouth, the choice of our words. And I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 10. Uh, As you know, once you start in chapter 10 of the book of Proverbs, it's a somewhat seemingly random collection of different wise sayings. And we're going to be going to a number of different places because these verses about the use of the mouth are in so many different locations. But I want to begin by reading some verses out of chapter 10, and here's what I find so striking. In the first nine chapters, we really find discourses on wisdom, uh, longer speeches that the father gives to his son, that the sage gives to his student. But once we come to chapter 10 we enter into the section that we most identify with the book of Proverbs, these concise, pithy statements of wisdom. And most of them are in two lines. It's what we call Hebrew parallelism. There's an A line and a B line. And often they are contrasted. And what I find so interesting, beginning in chapter 10 and extending through the rest of the book... Proverbs has more to say about the tongue than any other area of your life. This is not something that is subsidiary or on the peripheral of your life. If you're walking in wisdom, this is something that is right in the very epicenter of walking in a manner worthy of your calling. So I want to begin just by reading, in in this first chapter... Proverbs 10, there are 32 verses, 12 of them deal with the tongue. Immediately, this book addresses the tongue once it hits this section. And every other subject really is in somewhat of a supportive role around the primacy and centrality of the use of one's mouth. So, verse 6, blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Verse 8, the wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool, that's someone who's just constantly running their mouth, a babbling fool will be ruined. Verse 10, he who winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will be ruined. That's someone who tells you more than they know. Selah. (laughs) Pause and meditate. Verse 11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Verse 13, on the lips of the discerning, wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. Verse 14, wise men store up knowledge, 
but with the mouth of the foolish, ruin is at hand. Verse 18, he who conceals hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is a fool. Verse 19, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Verse 20, the tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. Verse 21, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. Verse 31, the mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. Verse 32, the lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverted. It's abundantly clear, even a blind man could see this, the emphasis that wisdom places upon the right use of the tongue. Wisdom must control every area of our life. Wisdom can never be compartmentalized and, and sectioned off to just one area of our life. From the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, every inch, every ounce of us must be under the control and the guidance of wisdom. Uh, wisdom must direct our feet into the very will of God. Otherwise, we will on, be on a different path. Uh, wisdom must direct the use of our hands as we put our uh, shoulder to the plow and put our hands onto the work that God has for us. Uh, wisdom must direct our eyes that which we gaze upon and, and that which we look upon. And wisdom must direct our ears and what we allow to, to come into our ears and into our mind. Wisdom must direct our heart and that which we value and that which we prioritize in our life. But wisdom must direct our tongue. Wisdom must direct the use of our mouth if we are to live in a way that honors and glorifies God. And nothing could be any more practical for us here today than for us to be reminded of the wise use of the tongue. As we look at chapter 10 and other verses and other parts of this last final section of Proverbs I've tried to arrange these verses under five headings, and it's a lot to get your arms around and, and to think through how would I arrange all of these various different verses that deal with wisdom. And simplicity is always a good teacher. And so let me give you five simple headings upon which we can hang all of these verses and organize our thoughts so that as we walk out and as we talk with one another, as you go back to your dorm, as you go into the classroom, that as you use your tongue, you have some very clear and simple direction for how you should use your speech. The first main heading I want to call redemptive words. Now we see this in chapter 10 and in verse 11 Words that edify, words that evangelize, words that build others up, words that impart life and blessing to, to other people. And so we see in verse 11 of chapter 10, the mouth 
of the righteous is a fountain of life. If you are a righteous person here today, your mouth is a fountain. And it is, to be intended, it is intended to be used by God to be a fountain of life. That there would come gushing out of your mouth words of life. Now, in this part of the, the world, water was very precious. It was an arid and dried, and in many places, a, a desert-like uh, um, climate. And people would travel far and wide to find a, a, a well of water from which they could draw water, and it would sustain them and strengthen them and keep them alive and, and even satisfy them. You couldn't live your life without water. You could not live your life without searching out a, a fountain of water, a, an underground spring of water. And it would gush forth and, and bubble up and flow into the buckets and into the cups of the people that would gather around and they would drink from it and they would be refreshed and be revived and, and be replenished how desperately these other people needed what came out of this fountain. And so it is for the righteous that our mouth is a fountain of life. And there is to come bubbling up and gushing out of our mouth words of life, words that are found in the Scripture itself. In fact, in verse 13, it is referred to as wisdom. On the lips of the discerning, wisdom is found. And wisdom being the application of truth to a, to a person's life. If you and I are to speak words of wisdom and words of life, that implies that we must be always and continually deepening our well deepening our well in our, in, in our study of the Word of God. Now, we cannot be shallow believers and our mouth truly be a, a fountain of life that is flowing with truth and wisdom and, and the knowledge of God. The righteous is one who has heard the truth and has believed the truth and has built their life upon the truth. And there is truth within their heart and, and within their soul. And when they open their mouth, there comes bubbling forth and flowing out of their mouth what is down in the heart and what is down in the soul, which is the truth of the Word of God and how it ministers to people who are around them. In fact, others will be drawn and attracted to someone like this so that they can receive the truth of the Word. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. I want you to see your, your mouth as an open fountain that is flowing with the truth of God's Word. But note the contrast at the end of verse 11, but. You see the first word? This is what we call an antithetical antithetical parallelism, where the second line is in total contrast to the first line. And so the second line of verse 11, but the mouth of the wicked 
conceals violence. Now what this says concerning the wicked, this would be the fool. There is a disconnect between their heart and their mouth at times because there is a great cover-up in their life. There is hatred in the heart, but there are words of false flattery that come out of their mouth. Uh, They are hypocrites. They are marked by duplicity. They are two-faced. In other words, they talk out of both sides of their mouth. In reality, they, they have hatred and violence, but they try to butter up people in order to gain advantage for themselves. And in order to manipulate people, they tickle their ears and say what that person wants to hear, but down on the inside, there is violence. What a contrast here. The, the mouth of the righteous is flowing forth with life because down in the heart there is spiritual life. Down in the heart there are words of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. As we look in chapter 11 and verse 30, we, we see how redemptive are the words of the, of the righteous. We, we see how edifying and and winning over people to the truth are the right words of the righteous. In verse 31, or verse 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. The word literally means takes souls. The idea is you win them over to the truth. You win them over to wisdom. And wise is the person who uses their mouth in order to attract people to the truth and to win them. Certainly this is true in evangelism as we share our testimony, but more than that, as, as we testify to the truth of the Word of God and we speak the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to others, we are winning them to the Lord using 1 Corinthians 9 language. And the greatest joy in the whole world is to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And I think it could be argued the second greatest joy is to be used by God to bring others to faith in Christ so that they will know the Lord. Uh, Regardless of what trial or tribulation I may be going through, just to see one person one to the truth of the gospel is such an encouragement that I'm filled to overflowing and I'm good for the rest of the year because God has been pleased to use me to win someone, to win a soul, to Christ. But even more than that, it refers to edifying other believers and building them up, winning them, making them even stronger in the truth. So first we see that words of wisdom are words that are redemptive, uh, that your mouth is a fountain of life. And it's not that what you say is giving life, it's that we are speaking the Word of God and the wisdom of God that contains life. You remember when Jesus said to His disciples, will you go away too? And Peter said, to whom shall we go? 
You alone have words of eternal life. We must be speaking these words. But not only redemptive words. Second, I want you to think with me about restrained words. Because Proverbs has much to say about what we do not say. And in chapter 10 and verse 18, we see that wisdom knows not only what to say, but wisdom knows what not to say. Wisdom knows when to tap the brakes. Wisdom knows when to set a guard over your mouth and not speak in a situation. And so in verse 18 we read, he who conceals hatred, and that's the same as the person at the end of verse 6 and at the end of verse 11, one who conceals hatred has lying lips. The reason he has lying lips is because he falsely flatters the one to whom he's speaking while he has hatred in his own heart, and every word that he speaks is an absolute lie because you really don't care for that person, you hate that person, you are lying through your teeth. And so he who conceals hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is a fool. Slander is that which is an attack on another person's character and their reputation, and it is intended to tear them down and to expose them before the eyes of others. And he says, he who spreads slander is a fool, and it is spread with one's mouth and with one's tongue. Verse 19 is coupled with verse 18, and this is one of those times when it's more than just one proverb. Now these two are to be clustered together. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. And the many words refer back to the slander in in verse 18. The more you keep talking about someone else and putting them in a negative light, your many words are, you're just digging a ditch deeper into sin. And you're like what we saw in verse 8 and verse 10. You're just a babbling fool. You're talking way too much. You would be wise to reel in your tongue and stop such an attack or an assault on another person, even while you have a smile on your face. And at the end of verse 19, we see the the contrast, and he says, but he who restrains his lips is wise. You see, wisdom directs us not only in what we have to say, but it is also wise not to speak. And he who restrains his lips in this context and in this verse refers to the one who does not slander, who does not spread a bad report about someone else, who does not repeat a secret that has been given to you in confidence, who does not repeat everything that he knows. He who restrains his lips is is wise. And he shows extraordinary self-discipline in holding back what he knows that if he opened his mouth, it would put that person in such a negative light before others. 
Now, Proverbs has much to say about this. In fact, here's something else we should find interesting. Proverbs has more to say about the use of the tongue than any other subject. And within the use of the tongue, it has more to say about restraining your mouth than any other aspect. So let's do a quick jet tour. In Proverbs 11 and verses 12 and 13, Solomon expands this. Verse 12, he who despises his neighbor lacks sense. And to despise the neighbor in this verse means that you vocalize your contempt for your neighbor to the ears of others. Because the second line of verse 12 talks about the use of the mouth. The first line says that you would despise your neighbor with the wrong use of your mouth, gossiping about them, slandering them. But the second line of verse 12, but a man of understanding keeps silent. He knows to zip his lip. He knows that if he is to say something about his neighbor, it needs to put them in a positive light, not a negative light. And then verse 13, he who goes about as a tale-bearer reveals secrets. And a tale-bearer is one who repeats what has been told to him in confidence, and he repeats it with a malicious spirit. And that there's a certain sick pleasure about running someone else down because it elevates you and it diminishes them. You become the hero as you are putting them down. He goes about as a talebearer, reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. If you're faithful, if you're trustworthy, if you are a reliable brother or sister, you will conceal a matter. You will keep a lid on it like Noah's sons, covering up his nakedness so that, so that others would not see it, that it would not be exposed. You seek to cover up, not to expose. In chapter 12 and verse 18, it says, There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The one who speaks rashly is the, the one who gives no previous thought to measure his words, and is this helpful, is this edifying, is this putting this person in positive light? And if one speaks rashly, the words that come out of the mouth is like someone with a sharp two-edged sword in their hand and just begin swinging it, almost like Peter pulling out in the garden his little dagger and cutting off the ear of the servant. You're out of control with your mouth, and you're hurting others. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. The idea is it binds up the wounds that were created by the thrusts of the sword. The fool inflicts wounds 
hurt feelings, divides friends. But the wise tongue brings healing. It restores hurt feelings. It restores broken relationships. It reunites those who have been separated in their relationships. The tongue of the wise is medicinal. It is always seeking to heal. In chapter 13 and verse 3, again, we see that wisdom is marked by not only what we say, but what we do not say, that, that we hold back certain words. And in chapter 13, verse 3, the one who guards his mouth preserves his life. In this sense, he avoids creating trouble for himself and avoids creating trouble for, for others. But when his mouth is unguarded, he is always putting himself in a troublesome situation that is needlessly troublesome. The one who guards his mouth preserves his life, and to guard it means that you set a watch over it like there is a sentry or, or a guardman or a watchman who is carefully looking for any harmful advance. The second half of verse 3, the one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. In other words, you need to have some private thoughts that never go public. And obviously, certain private thoughts need to be repented of if it's violence. But there are things that we know that a fool would just open wide his mouth. The one who just opens wide his mouth, his lips, and comes to ruin is one who repeats what should not be repeated who attacks, who should not be attacked, who promises what he cannot keep. He has an unfiltered speech. In chapter 15 and verse 28, we see again this emphasis upon the restraint that we must have in the use of our tongue. And as we're looking this at this, this does not say that there does not come a time when we do confront or correct someone, of course, uh, the wounds of a friend bring great healing. But Proverbs has far more to say about what we should not say. And in chapter 15, verse 28, the heart of the righteous, that would be you and me, ponders how to answer. And this word ponders really is a Hebrew word that describes a, a low sound, like muttering, like, mmm. And the idea is that you meditate before you talk. You give careful thought to what you're going to say before you speak to another person if it is a highly sensitive matter and if it involves the reputation or integrity of, an, of another person. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. And the idea is someone has first spoken to you, and rather than quickly responding with the impulse of what first comes to your mind, you need to give, you need to ponder, you need to think, you need to go, hmm, 
before you answer, or your words may be misdirected or too strong. At the end of verse 28, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. The mouth of the wicked does not ponder how to, how to answer. The mouth of the wicked is just running nonstop. It's like a backed-up toilet, and it just keeps... Well, you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> Chapter 16. See, I showed great restraint. <laughs> Chapter 16. In verse 28, a perverse... Man spreads strife, and he spreads the strife with his mouth, and a slanderer separates intimate friends. Chapter 17 and verse 9, he who conceals a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. To conceal a transgression here based upon the second line of this proverb, means that you choose to suffer unjustly, that you choose to turn the other cheek, uh, that you choose just to cover up a transgression that has been con uh, committed against you, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. How often proverb talks about not speaking rashly and not speaking everything that may be brewing on the inside. In the same chapter, verses 27 and 28, again we see the word restrains. In verse 27, he who restrains his words has knowledge. And the knowledge here is, is the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God and the knowledge of truth is a governing control in his life, and it is a governing control of his tongue. And to restrain your words here, the word restrain here in the Hebrew means to hoard up riches, to hoard up something. In other words, you hold on to what you could have easily said, but it is your knowledge of God that keeps you in check. There is self-control in the speech. The second line of verse 27, he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. He has self-control in his spirit, therefore he has self-control with his tongue. Verse 28, even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. Uh, even for a fool to restrain his speech is profitable for him. It at least disguises the, the perversion within his own heart. When he closes his lips, he is considered prudent. Even for the foolish, the best thing he could do is say nothing. And there is application even for the righteous. In chapter 18 and verse 8, I, I just want to impress you with how often Proverbs addresses the speech and how often Proverbs addresses the restraint of speech. And in verse 8, the words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels. Now, the words of a whisperer is some, you're whispering behind someone's back. 
You're whispering in a back office. You're whispering in a, in a dorm room. You're looking around to see if there's anyone else around who, who might hear this, and you are whispering this undercover as a gossiper. And the words of a, of a whisperer, it says they're like dainty morsels. It's, it's like eating candy for the person who hears this. It, it's a it's, it's a tasty tidbit. Oh, tell me more. When did this happen? When did this start? Who else knows about this? And they go down into the innermost parts of the body. In other words, it doesn't just lay on the surface of a person's soul or psyche, but it penetrates down and it has an inward effect very deeply on the inside as you have taken in and savored this dainty morsel that this whisperer came and, and blew smoke in your ears. In verse 13, he who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. In other words, he just gives a, a, a hasty comment. He gives an answer before he hears. In other words, the person talking to him hasn't even finished the sentence hasn't even finished the report, and you have already come to the conclusion you've been judged, jury, and pronounced the, mat, the mind of, uh, of, of the verdict before you even have heard all of the evidence. And you certainly have not heard the other side, but you're already like a pistol that is cocked and ready to fire when you don't even know everything that you need to know about this. In chapter 20, and verse 19, and we, we see by negative example one who does not restrain their mouth. It's the slanderer who has, their, 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 their mouth is like a car with no brakes. There, there, there's no restraint. They just so quickly say things about other people. Verse 19, he, goes, he, who, he who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Secrets of what has been told to him, secrets of what he has found out, secrets that ought not to be made known to other people, Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. And in the Hebrew, this word gossip means literally one who opens his lips. I mean, his mouth is just always running. And he's always gossiping. And then in chapter 26, in verse 20, For lack of wood, the fire goes out. Makes sense, doesn't it? The fire can't keep burning when you run out of wood. And so for a lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. If the whisperer would finally just pour cold water upon his tongue that is set on fire from hell, a lot of the problems would finally 
come to an end. So these are restraining words, and I've taken the time to go to all these verses, not only that you would see what they say, but also to impress upon you the weight of importance that the book of Proverbs places upon restraining your words. You really, and I don't, we really don't need to weigh in on every issue. Now, third, we've said redemptive words, we've said restrained words. Third, I want to call it refined words. And come to chapter 10 in verse 32. This is a very important verse. Proverbs 10, verse 32, the book of Proverbs places a high value on the person whose mouth speaks that which is appropriate, that is not crass, that is not crude, that is not edgy, but is appropriate and acceptable. So verse 32, please note, the lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable. And we wonder, what exactly does the word acceptable mean? And the answer is found in the second line, because the second line will give the antithesis of what acceptable words are. In the second line, but the mouth of the wicked, what is perverted. That which is filthy. That which is unfit and unclean to be spoken, whether to a woman, a child, even to another man. It's just inappropriate. The lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable. And this word acceptable, which is the opposite of perverted, means that which is proper. That which has a a decorum about it. That which is pure that which is clean, that which is sensitive to the sensibilities of others. It's very popular today now in certain circles of of churches to be really edgy and to, to speak a little bit of gutter talk. And Proverbs says, no, the mouth of the wicked speaks gutter talk that which is unwholesome, that which is inappropriate. Ephesians, as you well know, says much about this. Ephesians 4, verse 29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. And this word unwholesome means corrupt or foul. It's used of rotten fruit or rotten vegetables that are unfit for anyone to eat that are offensive. And here when he says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, he is saying there should be no foul language, there should be no edgy, rough, crude talk. Whatever you say, it needs to be said as though in the presence of Jesus Christ. Then in Ephesians 5 and verse 4, Paul writes, there must be no filthiness 
That means no obscenities, no degrading talk, no disgraceful language. And he says no silly talk, which is just, it's silly. There's the word moros or moron that Dr. MacArthur mentioned last night. And it's just stupid talk. And then it says, or coarse jesting. And coarse jesting is vulgarity. Those things that have a double meaning, a double entendre, where words mean this, but there's a secondary meaning that is inappropriate, that is behind that, it's a pun, it's a play on words that is inappropriate. It's suggestive of things. Off-color jokes. And Paul concludes this by saying, which are not fitting. It's not proper. It's not glorifying of God. Those words would never come out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Colossians 3 verse 8 says the very same. Put aside abusive speech from your mouth. So come back to Proverbs Look at Proverbs 15, verse 1. Instead of coarse, rough talk and language, the man of wisdom, the woman of wisdom, has different kinds of words. And in Proverbs 15 and, and verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. In other words, you're talking with someone who is angry and is escalating in their, their wrath. And if you were to say one more thing, it would just set them off. And you may even know where their hot button is, as sometimes can happen with siblings or in a family. And things build and they build, but the wise... Man, the wise woman gives a gentle answer to unplug, to defuse this intense situation. I remember when I was sitting on the front row at Grace Community Church and Dr. MacArthur was in the pulpit, and a crazy man ran up on the platform who had been sent by his church from Scotland, a charismatic church, because they were upset about strange fire. So they wanted to keep the fire going. And this guy ran up onto the platform and began to publicly rebuke Dr. MacArthur. And of course, we're all waiting for the security guards to do something, and nobody was doing anything, and I was so far away, I was on the front row, I couldn't, uh, <laughs> but I was observing him, and it would have been very easy for Dr. MacArthur to, to go into an imprecatory psalm, and the curse of God be upon your life. But he gave a gentle answer to turn away the wrath of that man. I had a chance to talk with Dr. MacArthur in his office right after that, and I said, what would you have said if they finally hadn't gotten the guy off the platform? He said, I would have just asked him, 
you or said, you obviously have something that's very important to you that you would like to say to me. Why don't you come to my office and you'll have a better opportunity to say everything that you would like to say to me. I would have just unplugged that man's wrath rather than punch his hot button and re respond in a manner that would have escalated that situation. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Look at verse 4. A soothing tongue. Literally in the Hebrew, that is a healing tongue. A tongue that soothes and heals hurt feelings and broken relationships. A tongue that seeks to be a peacemaker. Um, a tongue that seeks to bring about reconciliation. A tongue that seeks to heal open wounds in a person's life. A soothing tongue is a tree of life. That means it's life-giving, it's life-restoring, it's life-replenishing. The opposite of a soothing tongue would be, a, would be to be a tree of death, a tree of destruction, a tree of harm. Look at the second half of verse 4, but perversion. The word perversion means what's twisted or crooked. The idea is that it's corrupt. But perversion in it, the it refers to the tongue. Perversion in the tongue crushes the spirit. It, it, it wields a devastating blow to the other person that may take them a long time to recover and, and catch their breath. It, it, it destroys the other person, a perverse, a perverse tongue. It crushes the spirit. The Spirit referring to what's on the inside, one's feelings and, and one's heart. Look at Proverbs 16 and verse 21. The wise in heart will be called understanding and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Sweetness of speech means your words are well measured and you desire to present what you say in as positive a manner as you can. You're not needlessly abrasive. You're not needlessly hurting others. Well, that's re that is refined words. And obviously we live in a day and a time in which everyone's mouth is becoming everything but refined. We need to speak words that are respectful, words that are polite, words that are proper, words that are fitting, words that we would say to Jesus Christ, and words that we would say to God. Now, very quickly, I want to give you the last two headings, and I, I can wrap this up. Number four, right words. 
R-I-G-H-T. Come to chapter 12 and verse 17, and when I say right words, the reference is to the truth, that you're always speaking the truth. You're, you're never misrepresenting a situation intentionally just so you can be pragmatic where the, the end justifies the means. No, you can only say that which is a truthful representation of a particular situation. So, chapter 12, verse 17, he who speaks truth tells what is right. And you see the word speaks? Literally in the Hebrew, it is a Hebrew word, breathes. He who breathes truth. And the idea, it is so natural for him to speak the truth that it's as natural as breathing. It's just a part of his, of his nature. It's an involuntary response. He is so committed to the truth that he will never concoct a story about turning in a term paper late. Never concoct a story about why I'm running late. That your, your, your mouth is, is so in alignment with the truth that you breathe truth and you always tell what is right. And what is right is what the truth is. The truth can be summarized in one word, reality. Truth is the way things really are. God is the God of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. The Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And as we speak, we must speak only what is truthful and what is right. But notice he says, but a false witness, deceit. And the, the, the language here in the second half is of a courtroom setting, and someone is put on the witness stand and is asked to testify before the jury and he bends the truth. She doctors up the truth so as to protect something or, or to have ulterior motives for personal gain. And deceit here means that which is deceptive. It, it's not a full disclosure of the truth. We must be men and women who are always giving a full disclosure of the truth. And I must take you now to chapter 16 and verse 13. Chapter 16 and verse 13. Righteous lips are the delight of kings. And he who spreads, he who speaks right is love. This speaks to the cabinet that's around the king. It speaks to the advisors. It speaks to the counselors who are around the king, the man who is given the position of authority, and those who surround the king always give an accurate report of what is going on. And they do not misrepresent the reality of a situation in order to, to, to keep a situation from becoming more explosive, because the king cannot make a right decision based upon faulty information that is given to him. So the king must always have righteous lips around him who speak what is right. And the one who will give a straight answer to the king is loved by the king, not because of favoritism, but because of the virtue, you are a straight talker to me. 
And so right words are critically important as wisdom guides a person's life. And it is a fool, a bona fide fool, who says to the king a misreport or not a full disclosure of a situation. Or to hold back from your parents that which is not the full story. Because your parents need righteous lips from you. Or to hold back from a dorm advisor. And to conceal. That's not the path of wisdom. That is the path of foolery. The last thing that I would have you to to see is reproving words. And I will just take you to one passage, Proverbs 27, and verses 5 and 6. Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Now, that's very important because we've said there is wisdom in restraining your words and holding back, but there are qualifiers to those verses. And when you see a brother or a sister who is entangled in a sin, if you love that person, you go with a spirit of gentleness and you speak the truth in love to help them untie the knot in which they have become ensnared. And so you speak open rebuke. Better is open buke than love that is concealed. In reality, it would not be a true expression of love to hold back an open rebuke if that would lead to their restoration, if that would lead to them being put onto the right path. Then verse 6, the proverb that's very familiar to us, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. It's hard to read that verse without thinking of Judas going into the garden and kissing the Lord Jesus Christ. What hypocrisy. What an evil devil of a man. Far better are the wounds of a friend who come in a spirit of gentleness and say, my friend, my brother, I see something that may be a blind spot in your life. And I want to tell you what I see, and I want to urge you to pursue a different path. You may not be aware of how you have been hurting others. You may not be aware of your influence. You may not be aware of how your words have actually crushed someone else. And better are the wounds of an open, caused by an open rebuke with a friend than love that is concealed. And so there is in the path of wisdom a time and a place when we must speak to another brother or sister, but it must be done in a manner with which we would have someone else approach us and speak to us. Well, this is some of what Proverbs has to say about the use of the mouth. And I'll end by just quoting Proverbs 18, 21. Life 
and death are in the power of the tongue. The most powerful muscle in your entire body is your tongue. Your tongue is more powerful than your feet and your hands and your shoulder. Your tongue has the power of life and death. And the wise man uses his or her tongue to bring life and to be a fountain of life. May God do this in me more. May I not use, misuse my mouth. May you use your mouth very wisely. And ultimately, the only way we can do this is by the power of the Holy Spirit and by following Christ and Christ living in us and through us as Christ who, is, who possesses all the treasures of wisdom and understanding as he directs the use of our mouth we will honor and glorify him. Let me close in a word of prayer. Father, how soul-searching, how challenging, how convicting, and even how comforting these verses are. And Lord, may we all walk in a path of wisdom and use our tongue and our lips and our mouth in a way that will not harm, but will edify, restore, encourage, and build up. Father, do this in Jesus' name.